What's up, everyone? Thanks so much for hopping on. Just wanted to explain a little bit about what you're going to be listening to today. So this is originally an interview for two hours and ended up splitting into two. So in this episode that you're about to listen to today, Connor is going to talk about his raw, unfiltered knowledge from being a powerlifter at a young age. And he was a nationally ranked powerlifter, squatted over 700 plus pounds, deadlift 700 plus pounds, etc. We talk about his personal use with PEDs and his experience with how common it actually is in the powerlifting world. We talk about sponsorship at a young age. We talk about his transition into mountain biking. This episode is definitely going to be a must watch to hear unfiltered knowledge about powerlifting, weightlifting, fitness, PEDs, etc. Hope you guys enjoy. Cheers. Heaviest squat I took before throwing the towel in for the time being was a 750 pounds. My last heaviest deadlift was 755. The last bench I took once again before kind of tossing in the white flag was 465. My body was actually the weakest. I couldn't even do five jumping jacks without heaving for breath. Yeah, on my hustle, keeping it going. This what you need. Yes, indeed. This is coaching your coaching, hosted by Yash, the podcast, interviewing the elite high school, collegiate and professional athletes, trainers and doctors. Really, it's the dopest info that you need. This is coaching your coaching. Let's go. We got Connor, man. Connor, how you doing, man? What's up? I'm good. Little, little on the hot side, but <laughs> I turn the AC on, so we're, we're good. We're gonna cool down a little bit. There we go. Awesome. So I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about what Connor does, and it might be easier to just tell you what Connor doesn't do because he literally does everything. So he's a power lifter who has 700 pounds on squat and deadlift, super knowledgeable weightlifting and anatomy. He had all kinds of injuries, even one very recently, some of which he had surgically repaired. He grew up doing BMX and now is a crazy mountain biker. I went out mountain biking with him. This guy's ballistic. He's the lead singer of his band which is awesome, man. I didn't even know you did that until Kevin told me. He's an awesome father and more than everything, such a kind and incredible person. Thank you so much for hopping on today, man. No problem. It's hard. This is definitely my first experience like talking about myself, so it's going to be a little weird, but hopefully stuff that I've learned and done along the journey, I can help whoever's listening and guide them in a, in a better way. There we go. Awesome, man. So tell me, man, how did it all start? How'd you get into fitness? Tell me everything about that. So, started out when I was a young boy. I was always active, so I was always, like, riding a bike. I used to race BMX, and my dad was a big karate guy, so I ended up getting into Muay Thai very young. So, I started all that, and then I got into football, and from football into high school, pretty much, I kind of stopped doing Muay Thai. And the reason why I stopped that, I would say, is because I stopped doing it for the art of it, and I wanted to be more violent. So I took myself out of that because it's not respectable at that point. Hmm. Once I stopped doing that, I needed a way to channel everything going on in my personal life in an aggressive way. And what better way to do that was then to go to a gym and crush some heavy ass weight. <laughs> so that's how the whole lifting thing took off. And then through personal experience, again, somehow I found my way back to a a bicycle a little bit bigger instead of a little 20 inch bmx bike but so that the whole fitness journey is kind of went full circle back to a, a two-wheeled bike <laughs> awesome man so when did you start powerlifting? about what year was that my earliest introduction to legitimate like competitive like my first competition was sophomore year of high school like mid between football seasons 
like the guy that used to run the gym that I actually coached at and trained at for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. He like noticed that like freshman year, I was like one of those, like, like, all right, like football players are strong in the weight room. But then he was like, you're like strong, strong. <laughs> so sophomore year was about my first competition. I think, I think the first competition I squatted like 500 pounds deadlift. <laughs> You're going to laugh at me. I got really long arms. So like my bench was atrocious. I also had like a rotator cuff problem. Mm-hmm. 275. Oh, wow. And this was your sophomore year of high school. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Like the weight class, I was always so from the beginning of powerlifting to the end of powerlifting. I was, I weighed 242 at Wow, that's that's so cool, man. So, how about when you ended powerlifting? What were some of your maxes that you put up? The last, the last professional meet I did, I squatted. In I, I was a raw lifter. I didn't wear like my last meet. I didn't wear like tight knee wraps. All I did was wear sleeves. Mm-hmm. Last competition squat was seven even in sleeves. And the bench was three, no, the bench was 415. Mm-hmm. I pulled 725 in that meet. <laughs> and then afterwards, I like, so I switched shifts at my old job. And I ended up working like midday. And as I'm sure we're going to get into it, I, I worked as a corrections officer. So the time of day that I worked, the prison was a madhouse. Mm-hmm. So by- got out of work I was completely spent and that eventually started dwindling into my training sessions that ultimately leaded was one of the big reasons why I started getting injured but mm-hmm. the heaviest squat I took before kind of like throwing the towel in for the time being was a 750 pound squat mm-hmm. my last heaviest deadlift was 755 and then the last bench I took once again before kind of tossing in the white flag was 465. Wow, dude, that's so incredible. My body was actually the weakest. It was the weakest at that point, really. Oh, yeah. How come? Oh, yeah. Was it from balancing both jobs, or what would you say? It was more just from like, so from a, literally like the time that I stopped playing football senior year of high school. I dove right into, so like senior year of football, playoffs ended. I went right into a powerlifting meet like two months later. Mm-hmm. And I would pretty much do two to three meets a year. When in reality, most people only do like one or two. Yeah, I was for the extra step and get at least one more meet in. Not necessarily just going balls to the wall and just maxing out every chance I could. I just wanted to show face. Mm-hmm. I did indeed have a, a sponsorship and I did, I did just want to pay it back to what they were doing to me. And I still try to, even though I'm not like really in the fitness world, the, those, the guys who gave me a sponsorship, they're actually a local nutrition shop. They have a bunch of shops now. It's called underground nutrition. Mm-hmm. It's been day ones for me. And I just wanted to show face. So I did, so between senior year and a year out of high school, I did three powerlifting meets. The year after that, I did three. And then the year after that, I did two. 
and then I did one, and then that was kind of like the last meet. Mm-hmm. Got I it. Ended up, yeah, I ended up traveling though, man. Like I went to Florida. I've been to New York. I've been to PA. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was definitely fun to get out there and go crush weights with huge people. There we go. That's awesome, man. So that was one thing I really thought of right there was you were such a young guy receiving sponsorships. How was that like? You know, tell me about that. How did it feel? Like, how did other people see you as, or how do you think other people saw you as? You know, I definitely. So I've never really felt like the the small man. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to sound crazy when I say this, but I never felt like I actually deserved it. Like, mm-hmm. I knew I worked really hard, and I knew that they took me up and they took me on and my actual powerlifting coach at the time, he took me on because of my work ethic. And I never let that like block what these people were actually doing for me. Mm -hmm. I never sat back and was like, man, I deserve this. Yeah. Like I still worked no matter what. Mm -hmm. So whenever I was in the gym, the three to five hours I spent on a gym session is literally dedicated to getting myself better and promoting the people who are putting their time and effort into me. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that people need to look at in the fitness industry is like, just because you have 5,000 followers doesn't mean you deserve anything. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to, like, so if a company is going to be willing to put an ad out with you as their picture, how many people are going to actually go and use your promo code to spend money at their business. That's how they have to look at it. Not like, Oh, we just want to give this person 50% off on all of our supplements and stuff like that and get Mm -hmm. nothing in return. So I always felt like it it was like another job for me. Like I was promoting, I was actively like continuously posting about them wearing their clothing like talking like whenever i saw somebody in public i would always like somehow some way bring up like underground nutrition or my powerlifting coach or the gym that i worked at praying mm-hmm. that it was it was almost a must-have in the conversation so much that it almost was like oh god when are you gonna stop talking about this this fitness <laughs> but that's just what it has to be like yeah in order for people to really invest their time into you Right. Right. That's a really good point there, especially now with college NIL deals, right? Now everyone's getting a deal, right? Everyone's such young athletes who just made a D1. They're all of a sudden making it six figures, some of them even more. And you know, they're already making so much money as a kid and having that relationship that you said, you as much as a sponsor putting time into each other, right? That is very, very special. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy too, because like around the time now, like YouTube, TikTok, and stuff like that wasn't as big mm-hmm. when I was getting bigger in the powerlifting world. But now, like you could, you could have a full time job and have a YouTube channel on the side and still like double what you make. Yeah, just off of making YouTube videos. And a lot of the companies they take value in that too. That's a big, that's a big marketing thing for people. Mm-hmm. Like if you got five hundred thousand followers on TikTok and each video you get trends. You're like, you could, you could have like the, the, uh, in the bodybuilding world, I guess you could say the softest physique or like the, the weakest numbers. But as long as people are following your, your goofy stuff, you're <laughs> going to get hooked up. So like, that's kind of like a downside to like, you got like kids down in like 
the deep south who are like massive and like massively strong like the one time i went to florida there was this kid he, nobody really knew who he was like mm-hmm. when you do competitive powerlifting like it's almost like you're fighting mma like you get in the little keyboard wars with people like oh i'm gonna out spot you and blah 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 <laughs> it's almost like you're just throwing keyboard jabs at each other trying to get into each other's head so you could win a a measly little trophy mm-hmm. it, there's just there was just kids down in florida like they would come out from like oklahoma or like indiana and this one kid he was he was like two years younger than me i want to say so i was about 19 at the time 19 or 18 and this kid was 16 17 years old mm-hmm. squatting 650 like and he was he was like a, a 205er mm-hmm. so that, wow. like in terms that's a light heavyweight mm-hmm. pounds on a 205 or that's insane but nobody knows who this kid is because he doesn't really he'd rather train and go out and work in the fields with his family than sit on the computer and try to make it famous that way mm-hmm. so there's two different types of people in the fitness industry there's the people who like yeah like they'll promote whoever promotes them but at the same time they put their work and their work ethic ahead more than their social media persona, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. I did post a lot when I was into it, but it was more or less like, look, like these are my sponsors. This who coaches me. This is what I did. It wasn't like, oh, I did a backflip over my deadlift bar and then <laughs> deadlifted and then wore rollerblades while I was squatting. And, and don't get me wrong, that stuff is hysterical, but there's time and a place for sure. Mm-hmm. definitely and nowadays you know with so many different platforms it's how do you even know who to trust right for someone just getting into powerlifting or just getting into fitness in general seeing like even something as simple as one of those ab machine things that you put on your stomach and that just does the work for you something that <laughs> like that might be oh wow that's how people get abs right yeah this nowadays it's just so hard to know who to trust right it's there's so many people out there and so many young people just trying to get into it. And yeah, as much as there's so much pros that come out of social media, you know, there is the other side too. Yeah. There's the, the, there's always the, the guy trying to reinvent the wheel. Right. I'll be the, I'll be the first one to tell you, man, there's, there's no, there's no cheat code. There's mm-hmm. like, there's how many, di- how many different programs have you ran? Like how many fitness programs have you ran? Like man. think about many. so many of them, man. I, I'm so many. It's you know what's crazy? They all work exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Depending on how consistent you are. Right. I've had three or four different powerlifting coaches. Mm-hmm. I've never not once PR'd out of me. Right. Not once. Mm-hmm. Now, do I say like, yeah, cool, like beginner gains? Like, cause you always like when you're a beginner, like you always get like huge PRs. It's like, no, like I went to the gym, I did my prehab, I did my lifts, I did my stretching, I did my post rehab. Yeah. Almost like how like a college football player would be. Like you go, you do your your stretches, you do your warm up, you do your actual your actual practice, and then you take care of your body afterwards. Yeah. Like life was literally wake up, work eat the entire day, make sure my body had the energy, kill it in the gym, rest up. Mm-hmm. 
I owe that to how many games I received, how many PRs I not like, oh, like this coach did this. Mm -hmm. Coach can mess you up. They can mess you up technically, but program rise, like they could they could fall asleep and write you a program. And as long as you follow it, unless they're giving you just way too much volume. Yeah. There's people who don't respond well to volume. There's people who respond better to like the five to six rep range instead of like the 12 to 15 hypertrophy type reps and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There's a difference with that stuff, but any real program that's given to you, as long as you follow it to a T and you don't go off kilter and think that you know more than the coach that you're paying and asking for help. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Definitely. Yeah. So how would your training kind of schedule look like when you were training for some of these events? Would you go six days a week, one rest day, or would you have different kind of splits? So towards the be- in the beginning, it was six, six training days. It was Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So okay. I would do squat bench off deadlift squat and then an accessory day Mm -hmm. that was when i was a newbie and i was a string bean Mm -hmm. (laughs) i had to get and and those programs that i ran were mostly hypertrophy based Mm -hmm. and they were high rep until about i want to say four to three weeks out from a comp and then you get into like the heavy loads and the like the tendon and muscular building phase of getting ready to compete like an athlete mm-hmm. and towards the end of it i would train four days a week mm-hmm. monday tuesday thursday friday mm-hmm. bench deadlift squat mm-hmm. and that was that was great because at that point in time man i lifted at 242 but i walked around at like 275 uh-huh jacked beyond <laughs> the, like do you know who alistair overeem is i do not i do not he's like old like k1 kickboxer but you ever see the genetically modified cows like on the, mm-hmm. on the that is exactly what i look like <laughs> bro did you not man i couldn't walk 10 feet without being out of breath really wrong as ever could be looked great but felt absolutely terrible mm-hmm. absolutely terrible and that's the uh, that's a big thing too. A lot of the kids who get into it, they're like, "Oh, dude, like I want to be huge and strong, and I I just want to I want to be that guy." And it's like, yeah, once you are that guy, man, it's you feel terrible. And yeah. one of the guys I like to bring up, and he was a big big role model to me in the powerlifting world. His name's Brandon Lilly. Mm-hmm. He the author of the Cube, the Cube three six five. He works for Sorenex. He's really big. He he doesn't powerlift anymore, but he actually blew both of his knees out on an opening squat that he could squat with his eyes closed. It was like a 750 squat. Mm-hmm. He went down and his knees just blew out. Now he's like 16 knee surgeries deep and he just does general fitness now. He's like a bow hunter and stuff like that. But he always talked about it. He's like, yeah, man, when I was a super heavyweight, I'll squat a thousand, the drop of a footnote, but I couldn't walk and play with my son. So as I'm older, like I look back and I'm like, why would I ever do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what? Just to say that I squatted a thousand pounds. Like who cares? The grand scheme of things, who really cares besides yourself? So that stuff comes down to your values too. Like what really matters to you being able to walk around like a functioning human being or 
look like an ox. <laughs> exactly, man. It's so crazy to think that if someone looked at your physique back when you were at that peak and you were just walking around super jacked, everyone would just believe that that guy must be in the craziest shape of his life. He must be going crazy. He must be good at everything. And I want to be just like that, right? I couldn't even do five jumping jacks without heaving for breath. Really? Dude, wow. it so bad. Really? So, <laughs> so bad. All like the, the Muay Thai conditioning, the football conditioning, like year, year five, six into powerlifting, I had no conditioning left in me, man. Like mm -hmm. it was hard because I had to cut weight to 242. Yeah. And dude, like I, I thought I was going to die. Mm -hmm. Just cut the weight because I was so out of shape. Mm -hmm. Look, but in the grand scheme of things, I was out of shape. What is also crazy, though, is the evolution of powerlifting because you do see a lot of people who are in genuinely good shape still and still putting up some pretty crazy numbers. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the way people, because a lot of people are training off. I can't even tell you the real acronym for it because I never really trained like that. Mm -hmm. But the, the gist of it is like, let's just say like you got to do like four sets of three at like eight RPE. So it's like you do you do a certain weight that you feel like it's out of 10. So you feel like you did eight and you could possibly do two more reps. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like confusing when you hear it at first, but like once you like do it, you're like, all right, I understand. So mm -hmm. you're just, uh, you're kind of training based off of how your body feels rather than just trying to hit like a certain number. Gotcha. So I would train like week one of like my five by five squats would be at like 73% of my one rep max. That's a set number. Yeah. So in my head, the way I was trained and the way I was brought up into powerlifting, like, let's just say like my one rep max squat was 700 pounds. Mm -hmm. I had to hit a five by five at 60%. That's about 525, 545. Mm -hmm. If I don't hit that number or that number feels terrible, that was a huge, like a huge burden on my shoulders like man like this is supposed to feel easy this is like 50 percent. why does it feel like this and in the grand scheme of things it's probably one of the reasons why my body's messed up because even if even if i didn't feel good i still would just go for it mm -hmm. even if technique started breaking down like i wasn't racking that barbell until the reps were done yeah whether i got stuck dropped it re-racked it and had to go back at it, I would still do it. And great, long, long term, it was probably terrible, but mm -hmm. this is a different, the gym I trained at too, is just the environment was so different. Mm -hmm. Like recently, like I, right before, like I kind of like, right before my son was born, I was still like working out and kind of powerlifting. Mm -hmm. I was working out at the crunch in Marlboro. Okay. Took, like a 585 pound squat for a triple. Mm -hmm. and like i was the guy who would like used to like headbutt the bar and like <laughs> and i was like a caged animal uh-huh but that was just how i got into the zone to do things like there's some people who like will smile at you and giggle on that crushing 800 pound squat <laughs> like in my head i can never be in a happy place and do stuff like that so i'd always have to find 
something or some way to make myself angry to be able to come up with the the emotion to just move that weight so i was walking around crunch and like it, it was it's been a while since i really squatted anything like that so i'm walking around real quick and i just walk up to the bar and i headbutt it the manager came up to me he was like you can't do that here and i'm like uh like why can i finish my workout or are you gonna kick me out and he's like he's like i'm not gonna kick you out because i'm scared you're gonna beat me up and i was like dude no 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 i'm like the nicest guy ever it's just, I, when I do things like that, like I, I gotta go to a dark spot, man. Like, I'm sorry. I'll just, I just won't do that anymore. Like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare everybody. And that was like, I was like, man, like I'm, I'm really out of place. Cause the gym, I, the gym I trained at, it sadly came to a halt after COVID. Uh-huh. But, yeah. So where do you, where do you train out now? Nowhere. Nowhere. Right. I right. Because I haven't lifted a single weight. So my son's 15 months old, mm-hmm. like weeks before he was born. I haven't touched a single weight, mm-hmm. single weight since he's been born. Definitely. Yeah. And Connor is a fantastic mountain biker now, right? So how was that transition? So, you know, as soon as you finished your last competition, how is it going into that? Was there a period where you weren't sure what to do or was it just like, I know what I want to, I just know what I want to do next. Uh, well, I started, so after I, if, if to just, I guess, hit the, the head on the nail, I used to be a corrections officer. Mm-hmm. I got in trouble on the street. I lost that job. I'm sure we'll touch up onto that. Mm-hmm. I ended up working back at a bike shop that I used to go to when I was a child. Mm-hmm. And I rode BMX because I was going through a lot of like rough, like a big, big rough spot in my life. And I just sat back and I was like, well, when I was a kid, like I never was in trouble. Like, what was I doing that like I my my brain wasn't so troubled, and mm-hmm. I wasn't stupid choices. I was riding a bike, yeah. so built up another BMX bike, and I started riding BMX again. Mm-hmm. And then my boss, who's who's like an older head, mm-hmm. he's like an old skinny man. He was like taking digs at me, like, oh, like all oh, you kids just ride BMX, you'll never make it in the mountains. Uh-huh. So I'm like. Day less. I pre-ordered a mountain bike and it came in and I started riding. And the cool thing about it was is he knew about it, but he didn't expect it to correlate that well. When you ride BMX, like you're like jumping off of stuff, you're spinning, you're like trying to hit weird angles. That's what you do in the woods. Like everything is a weird angle. Everything is a is an obstacle essentially. Mm-hmm. So I'm from like a like a BMX background. The only thing that you really have to get with mountain biking is conditioning. Yeah. So that's all you have to build up is just your stamina. You have to learn that it's anaerobic instead of aerobic. Mm-hmm. So like climbing up a hill, you want to spin as fast as possible. You don't mm-hmm. want to try to mash because when you mash, you're just going to build up lactic acid and die out. Right. You want to spin to continue up the hill. And once you learn how to do that with a BMX background, you could do like what I do. Mm-hmm. was you just send your body and <laughs> I'm break yourself. yeah you should tell people some of the the crazy stuff you do dude some i've seen connor jump man this guy is fantastic dude it's so crazy to see what he can do on the bike that's like like wow it's just more wow because i'm a bigger dude mm-hmm. and people aren't used to seeing big people fly 
like I'm backflips. I don't do like crazy 360s yet or anything, but like, like the stuff that people would look at, be like, man, that's like kind of scary. Like, let me roll up to that a couple times. I just like go back, I pedal at it at full speed, and I just whew. if I land, I, yeah, I'm kind of the motto with life, really. There we go. I like that. And one thing really special that you said back there was you looked back and you found something you really enjoyed as a kid. And that's such a cool thing for anyone listening out there. That's, you know, kind of in a slump when you were kids, we don't have those stresses. Like, Oh, I got school. I got work I have money, you know, relationship problems. You're just a kid. You go out there, you have fun, come back home, you eat dinner or whatever. Right. You just go even out there and do what you want to. Like even like with the bike and like whatever, like my parents would yell at me or whatever. It's like, well, I'm upset. Like, I'm just going to go ride my bike and forget about it. Yeah. That's pretty much what I just returned my life back to. It's like, oh, God, like me and the wife are arguing like, oh, God, I got in trouble at work or something. Mm-hmm. I my bike and just forget about it. Yeah, that's one of the most special things that, you know, you could think of today. Now, when people think of, hey, I don't know what my passion is or I don't know what I like to do for fun. Just, you know, go back to when you were a kid. What do you do for fun when you were a kid? That's probably what's somewhat close to what your passion is, right? Entrepreneurs always sell, you know, just sold stuff, lemonade stands, et cetera, right? Sports guys played sports constantly and Connor bite. That's your thing. Like granted, I, once I'm like, cause I still got like, after my collarbone heals up, like I still got to get my knee worked on. Mm-hmm. I may have a couple tears. <laughs> but I don't know, man. I'm just it's like a walking mummy. Uh-huh. Like. Once like that stuff gets through, like I'm clear headed enough to possibly go back to Muay Thai again. And hopefully by that time, like my body's like not like granted, like when are you ever really a hundred percent? Right. I just don't want to go into something completely destroyed and then just make myself worse. Right. So, and hopefully around that time, like my son's like able to start kicking bags too. Mm -hmm. And I can, take my son to a Muay Thai school and just get back into the swing of that. Mm-hmm. That was fun too, growing up, like being able to take your aggression out on a bag and not beat up little Timmy. <laughs> that was good. That was pretty good. So I'm pretty sure in the past you've had a surgery on one of your knees, right? Yeah. I got the meniscus completely removed out of my right knee. Okay. Got it. So tell me about that. How did that happen? And how was it coming back from that? recovery was great was walking the day of the surgery also because i'm a thick head i'm not walking around with crutches like you're out of your mind so it tore twice okay before surgery on it so there it it tore laterally first and then longitudinally second okay that's why they had to fully remove it but Mm. the first time it happened i was when i played football i was a puncher too yeah kid muffed the snap and i went to go reach back and if you have like a a weak stomach like i'm sorry to the listeners and yourself (laughs) reach back and i had my kicking my right leg exposed and the kid went to go dive for the ball and he kind of just like headbutted my knee Uh and it kind of bent the wrong way (laughs) that luckily only tore my meniscus Mm -hmm. a lot of people think like oh you tore something in your knee like you can't walk the meniscus as long as it's not like dislodged mm-hmm. it doesn't even feel torn so at first 
had like a little limp and then like I, as I ran like it, I just I just I was a young kid so I just ran as you mentioned before I'm a singer of a rock band so like I went to a concert mm-hmm. I got a little rowdy on <laughs> a couple spin kicks and I went to go get in the car after the after the concert and when I got home I tried to get out the car and my knee was completely locked up so I was like oh no like what's wrong with my knee yeah left it off and it was a Saturday, Saturday weightlifting session, like after mm-hmm. it was like light squats, whatever. I did my warm up. I went to go like squat 315 and mm-hmm. I sat in the hole of the squat, tried to stand up and I couldn't move. Like mm-hmm. my knee completely locked up in the hole of a squat. Uh-huh. So like my first reaction is in my head. I'm like, I can't get up right now. It was like, maybe I should go see a doctor. <laughs> dump the weight off my back and i just lay there and i wait for somebody to be like yo you all right just for like assurance that i'm okay so then after that she was like yeah like we're gonna have to remove your whole meniscus like there's no repairing it there's no, there's nothing so they shaved it completely down and honestly my knee hasn't felt better mm-hmm. granted that i don't have to worry about a meniscus tearing yeah gone mm-hmm I've never had a problem with my right knee ever since. And that was probably like eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. Time flies. Yeah. Yeah. So after, so this is after, give me like a little bit of a timeline-ish. So was this after you were done powerlifting or is this before you were powerlifting or? I still played high school football. This was like before sophomore year of football. So this was freshman year going into sophomore year. Oh, wow. So you didn't even began the grasp of your whole powerlifting career and you did that all without a meniscus i was just still football training that's crazy because it was in the summer so i i really didn't miss any of the season yeah. i missed the season because it only took like six, six genuine weeks to heal mm-hmm. after the surgery so we would do practice during the week at the high school and then at the gym that i ended up coaching at and having like my little powerlifting stint mm-hmm. it was a sports specific gym so okay. like it was like if you wanted general fitness like it was offered mm-hmm. but <laughs> don't take this the wrong way you came in for general fitness you ended up either powerlifting or like doing some other stuff cuz like yeah. it was coming in there to do jumping jacks like come on now <laughs> we're not we're not going to take $200 a month from you to do ju- just jumping jacks you're going right. to you're going to push yourself but, um, <laughs> Yeah, so I would go and I would train, like, after practice, I would do, like, sports-specific stuff for football. And then on the weekends, I would go and I would lift. Mm-hmm. It so happens that the one weekend I went to go lift, I couldn't stand back up. So that was that. Mm-hmm. That was way before. So after football season, sophomore year is when I did my first meet. Mm-hmm. So, like, kind of during that football season, I wasn't, like, a starter in football, so I was able to – have energy to go do like a powerlifting workout like after football practice mm-hmm. so i would just do that and then after sophomore football ended i went and i did a powerlifting meet mm-hmm. love and just stuck stuck with football until senior year was done i pretty much did that for like my like even though my grandmother passed like she always wanted to see me be a senior and graduate and play football so i just did that pretty much for her mm-hmm so 
did that and then powerlifting took yeah. off. Yeah, definitely, man. So I know a lot of NBA players do something similar where they have team requirements where it's like, if you didn't play this many minutes, you have a conditioning workout after along with, you know, your weights, right? And they do that to keep all the players, you know, continuously right. progressing. Yeah, the, the program I played for too was like, it was serious. It was almost like militant. I liked it. Nice. I really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like he was the type of coach that like, be messing around before practice, like hitting each other on the helmet. And as soon as his bald head crested on the hill and you could see the glare off his bald head, yeah, everyone had attention to just no messing around with that man on the field, man. Uh-huh. So where'd you where'd you play football at? Was this in New Jersey? Yeah, I played at Saraville. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Nearby. Oh, so you're a local Saraville, huh? Oh yeah. Grew up there completely. Wow, that's awesome. So if people if people know Cerebral, I mean, aside from that ridiculous scandal that went on that nothing really actually happened, uh-huh. but that that's it's my opinion. I played, I lost the season because of it. Mm-hmm. And if people, if there was something that actually went down, then people would have been charged and went to jail. So, mm-hmm. so it was a waste of a bunch of people's time. Mm-hmm. The football coach before Chris Began was George Najar. Since he got there, I believe in 97, they've never missed the playoffs. Wow. Got like five or six state championships under his belt there. Guy's legit. He's a legit man. Mm-hmm. One of the most respected human beings I've ever I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, who like, you respect, and then there's like, I got no choice but to respect this man. <laughs> he was one of those. I like the way you said that. That was a good one. <laughs> no cho- got no choice but to respect him he's that he is that great he was funny too like if you got there super early because he would work out he was like 65 years old uh-huh he'd always do the same workout every morning he'd be in the weight room running on the stairmaster he would run like five minutes straight hop off do like shoulder raises upright rows mm-hmm. hop stairmaster and then once he was done if you if you had the I guess the the luck to catch him in his office after his workout. On the field, like like me when I was a sophomore, like on the field, like he would scream, like he would make it seem like he didn't know who you were. Mm-hmm. And if you saw him like before practice, he'd be like, he's like, oh Connor, like how you doing? Like you doing all right? How's school? Like you getting ready for school? Mm-hmm. But on the it's like, who are you? <laughs> you don't work on this on on this team yet. But uh, you'd catch him in the morning, and he'd be sitting at his desk with a bowl, like, this wide, full of Cheerios and bananas. Like, uh-huh. every morning, like, crushed a huge bowl of Cheerios and bananas. It was funny, because he would, like, call you into the office, and, like, as a young sophomore, I'm just like, oh, this, this coach hates me. Like, he doesn't even know who I am. And then like, you'd walk past his office, and he'd call you in, and he'd just he's you just shoot the bobo with you for like 15 minutes and see him later in practice and he like forgets who you are <laughs> it's like the weirdest thing ever so one thing connor is you're really really experienced with peds and you know a lot about it can you tell me a little bit about like how you learned so much about it and your experience with it yeah so i will never say that i was ever natty because i wasn't there was a point in time where i was introduced to SARMs. 
if people don't know what those are, they're I'll just I'll just say what SARMs are and the dummy to dumb it down. Yeah, SARMs perfect. Over the counter testosterone boosters. So it's you're if you take them and told and like went and did a competition and said that you were natty, you're popping and you're getting banned because they're mm. they're illegal in competition use unless you go into a tested system. If you go untested and they test you and you pop, you're getting banned. They are illegal. So in the world that I know about PEDs, it was very cut and dry. It's what do you run? How do you run it? How does it help you perform? So if you're a strength athlete, there's certain things you take that help with recovery. A lot of people get it mixed up that PEDs are going to make you stronger. They're going to make you faster. They're going to make you quicker. That's not what they're intended for. They get abused very, very often. And PEDs are just used to help you recover, really. Some get you really shredded, but that comes with rest. If you don't rest, no matter, even if you're natty or not, no rest, no gains. Your body doesn't have time to recover and adapt to what you're throwing at it. Me, when I, when I was on SARMs, I never high dose, like I would low dose. So low dose, a perfect example of it is the substances I took were MK677. It helps just boost your metabolism. And it's kind of like a chamomile in the essence of where like, it kind of like helps you knock out faster. Mm-hmm. So you eat a ton. It helps you retain water and it helps you sleep. It helps you reach like a full REM sleep mm-hmm. instead of going to sleep, like you deep sleep. And the on top of that, I was taking Testolone Rad, which is obviously more of a testosterone booster. And then there was like a, a little estrogen blocker that you would take so you don't build too much estrogen and then end up going flat. Mm-hmm. For adding testosterone, naturally when you add testosterone, as a man, you still create estrogen. Very little, but you do. Mm-hmm. And if you add more testosterone, there's going to create a huge hormonal imbalance. And what happens is, is if you don't take estrogen block, any sort of PED, you go flat. And what that means is, is people describe it as lady. You get like gyno, mm-hmm. your testosterone levels plummet. So you can go from being like a raging bull to like, you don't even want to move. Mm-hmm. And it's very important, like to anybody who is looking into it, like, believe me, like, I don't, I don't condone it. But if you think that if it's in your best interest, like, let's just say like you're stuck at like a 600 pound squat or like a 300 pound bench, and it is your absolute life mission and your life goal to bench 315 instead of 300. <laughs> if you think that you're going to need that stuff instead of just working a little bit harder, a little bit longer, if you want it now, it'll help you. It won't give it to you now. It's going to take time, of course. But if you think that you need that boost to make it there, do the research, talk to people, and take everything with a grain of salt from everybody you speak to. 
because the internet is full of nonsense. Like I can tell you how MK677 works and then 60 other people who've never taken it will be like, oh dude, it works just like this. They've never taken it. They don't know how it works. They just read online. And I can read things online too and be like, wow, like I've never read that about MK. Like that's new. I never felt that. And I took it for four years. So take everything with a grain of salt, do a bunch of research. And if it's something that benefits you, then awesome, man. Because in, in the fitness industry, the point of fitness is to achieve the highest level of yourself and the highest level of performance you can do, whether it's, and, and people are probably going to uproar because there's the huge natty, natty crowd. And then there's the people who are in the middle. And then there's the, nah, dude, steroid up. Gear up and go. Mm -hmm. There's there's groups of everybody, but if you think the the highest level of of athlete you could become is on PEDs, then I'm for it. I don't. I mean, they're performance enhancing drugs for a reason. That's why their name is there. It's to enhance your performance. Right now, the people that it bugs me are are the people who lie about it. And uh, they get caught and then they make it seem like, oh, I never did that. Mm -hmm. I never took that. And in the powerlifting world, Louis, Louis Simmons, he's the owner and he actually passed away recently. He's the owner of the infamous, infamously popular gym called Westside Barbell in Ohio. Mm -hmm. He said it the best. He's like, it's not cheating if you take steroids. It's cheating if you get caught. Yeah. If you're open about it and you do and you compete where you're it's an even playing field and it's like everybody's doing it. Yeah, then whatever. It's it's a competition at that point. But if you're doing the stuff, lying about it, and then competing against people who are genuinely putting like the extra I don't want to make it seem like the people who are on PEDs aren't putting in work, but the people who are natty do genuinely put in a lot more work and time into mm -hmm. what they're doing. But that's not cool because mm -hmm. you're taking a lot away from people. And the P it's a, it's a rough, it's a rough situation because art, it, is it a drug? Yeah, it's a drug, but at the same time, it makes you stronger. It makes you faster through mm -hmm. rest. And I say through rest because they don't, you don't just take them and then you get buff. You take them and then you have to work and then rest up and then you get buff. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anybody needed to hear that, but that's the honest truth. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That was huge, man. So how common is it? There was one guy who was the last Mr. Olympia who was on any kind of ease, right? And now they suspect that every single one of them, every single Mr. Olympia has got that kind of PED. And what's your thoughts on like how common it is in the powerlifting world and how common it is? If out of 10, I would say four to five people run gear. Oh, wow. Four to five. So yeah. close, to, close to not. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's there's a lot more people doing stuff than a lot of people think. Mm -hmm. And I've competed against somebody. They actually got caught. So it's not like a hidden thing. Mm -hmm. They got caught for an estrogen blocker. And why are you taking an estrogen blocker alone? It's just like 
do you watch MMA? Not much. Not much. John Jones. Okay. He is my favorite fighter of all time. He's the best. But the one thing that I disrespect about him is he's been caught cheating multiple times. And mm-hmm. instead of standing up to it, he pretends like, oh, I don't know how that got there. And then he mm-hmm. spends all this money because he has the money to get tests fixed and like oh like this is a picogram in a supplement that you got in china oh they mix the same like he got popped for cocaine once mm-hmm. and, and like a so when you do when you do when you fight at that level you get tested the night before and the night of after the fight mm-hmm. so the, after the fight he tested positive for a cocaine substance Mm-hmm. Granted, that's not a PED, but it's a stimulant. Yeah, you're going to fight and you you do cocaine. You're a little crazier than the guy that you're about to fight. <laughs> and uh, he tested positive for it. Mm-hmm. Somehow, like eight months later, he got it proved that in China, like the one company mixing one of his creatine supplements, mm-hmm. mixed cocaine, <laughs> like in the same like funnel. Uh huh. That they make the creatine in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what? what the other substance after that? Because he got popped. He got popped three times for steroids. Once for cocaine, and the other two for PEDs. At at that at, after the second time, the third time, I was like, man, like it doesn't even make sense. Like you're just you have all the the natural ability in the world, and you're just throwing it all out the window, man. It, insane. Mm-hmm. So. A lot of NBA players, I don't know MMA that well, but I know NBA and whenever an NBA player gets caught, you know, with some kind of substance, I don't think it's, it's definitely not cocaine, but something PED wise or an enhancer. The first thing they always say is, I didn't know that was illegal. I didn't know. That's always what it is. Now, my argument to that is they probably did it. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't know this, like USADA, WADA. And all these, these, these anti-doping agencies, what happens is, is like, let's just say like, we'll use, we'll use something basic like fruit punch. Fruit punch is made of how many different fruits Mm -hmm. you could ban an original fruit punch, which is like orange, apple, pineapple, cherry. So there's four substances. You could ban that. And then you could make fruit punch without cherries, but add a pear. And now it's legal again. Yeah. <laughs> that's the area it's like you d- unless you're taking something that's already that, that hasn't been caught yet mm-hmm. even if like so even if like they banned a substance and the substance that you're taking has the substance that is in that banned substance and it's just another molecule and another combination of things put together you can still pop yeah but there's ways around it. So it's just like that fruit punch analogy where like you could change an ingredient and it becomes legal again and does the exact same thing for you. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge gray area because a lot of people get away with it until somebody steps up and goes, yeah, that's not right. Right. Like now that's banned and now you're suspended for eight months or whatever it may be. So mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. That's a huge one, man. It's so surprising how, People are willing to put it on the players all the time and say like, hey, 
it's on you. You know, you did this. You know, you you brought us upon yourself. And a lot of these guys are young, first year in the league. Maybe some who are on, you know, the decline and just trying to get a little better. And although some of them may have known it and done it, probably a good amount of them that, you know, are just like you said, who just really don't know. And, you know, maybe they're being advised by someone else. And at the time, it may be legal. And then you got all these like shysty managers and nutritionists. Right. You don't know it. Like, you don't know, like, all right, so you, you got a guy fresh out the league, right? Mm-hmm. Or his manager's like, oh, I got all these guys famous. I got all these guys big. Like 15 years ago when stuff wasn't really regulated and nobody really cared. Mm-hmm. Got a guy with that mindset taking up a young cat. And he tries to like be like, yo, dude, just take this, bro. Like, it'll, like you'll be a standout player this year. Yeah. That guy just jeopardized that kid's entire existence in whatever sport that he's doing. Right. All because he thinks times haven't changed and he could still, because he makes money off the player. Right. If the player makes money, he's not making money. So he'll do anything in his power to make that kid a superstar. Yeah. Whether it's jeopardize him and then kick him to the curb and then find your next prospect it's it's a vicious cycle with that stuff too so it can't always be on the player mm-hmm. and a lot of times there there are and it has been proven back to like the whole like oh i didn't know i took it mm-hmm. in some steak and in some chicken some turkey there they do find banned substances in some of this prepared food mm-hmm. is proven as well that does happen so do i think that if they come to the conclusion that it was in a store-bought food packaging, do I think they should serve a suspension? Maybe a little bit, maybe like mm-hmm. a month, like don't go to practice for a month, but <laughs> you can't, you can't publicly in my eyes, you can't publicly tarnish somebody like that for something that they bought at a local food store. Right. You can't do that. that that's it. That's you're, you're, like, what if that, what if that, so that kid's fresh out of college playing NBA, maybe has two kids and a wife at home. Now mm-hmm. you're going to take half of his paycheck away. Right. Bought chicken at the store that his kids probably ate too with a banned substance. <laughs> it just doesn't, it's not right. Definitely. <laughs> but, but the people who, who are using, and believe me, there's people who do it, they, they cycle it very well. Mm-hmm. Or like, they know when they're going to get, or they have an idea when they're going to get tested. So they run whatever they have to run and they don't run it a high dose. They run low dose. So it's, it helps them in a way, but it's not like, wow, like that guy is really on something. Mm-hmm. It helps them enough to where they could get a little bit, a little bit better, a little bit faster. And then they, I don't want to say they go cold Turkey, but they come off of it right before they know they're about to get tested. Cause a lot of these like, in fighting, there was this one fighter who he came out. I forgot who it was. He came out and said that he, that when USADA started, he got tested once. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't test him for seven years. Oh, it's interesting. Point. Some guys that get tested every month. Mm-hmm. But very random. So if you're not like a red flag guy, they're not going to bother with you. Yeah. happens with that red flag, that, that non-red flag guy. He may experiment because he knows, like, I ain't gonna, they ain't gonna come after me. Right. And another, another example I like to point towards is like, look at the NFL. 
old like how many old men on the on the offensive and defensive line are there? There's guys that are like in their mid forties. Mm-hmm. You tell me you're 45 years old, you got or like you're 38, 42 years old, you got a whole family at home, you got like three years left in the league. You got this six foot eight, three hundred twenty pound defensive end who could run a four nine forty. Mm-hmm. Gonna put him up against my forty two year old ass. Mm-hmm. Somebody comes up to you and goes, "Hey man, I got this. I got this secret sauce that'll keep you healthy so you can make it through your last couple of years." Mm-hmm. What do you do? Yeah, it's an honest and point. Yeah, it's more common than you think that the guys like. Yeah, like I don't want to get hurt. I I got two years left, and I get to be with my kids. Like I don't want to get hurt. Right, right. And yeah, it's seriously an honest conversation because you know NFL guys and you know all professional athletes. But I look at the NFL as like a modern day gladiator type thing, right? You could get hurt, and who's gonna help you? You can't play with your kids if you're hurt. You can't like go out there, and you're you're not even making as much money as some of the NBA guys, right? Like, who knows? People get mad at players for taking their money, right? Yeah. Like, they're taking their contract. Like, who knows? Not every day is going to be guaranteed for them. Like, what if they go out and they're done? That's it. That's all their money. That's all they're going to get. I like this. So, like, let's just, let's just say John Smith signs with the, the Carolina Panthers. Mm-hmm. He's got six years at, at 900K. So, you get that 900K check whenever they decide to pay you. Because I don't, I don't, I personally don't know how the NFL works. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, paid, but you got to pay your mortgage, you got to pay all your monthly bills, you got to pay your car, you got to pay your insurance, put your kids through school, what pay for whatever you have to pay. And on top of that, you have to pay your manager, you have to pay your nutritionist, whatever gym you cut you train at. There's a lot of stuff that you have to pay for, and mm-hmm. you just get one fat check. Yeah. It's like living week to week, but on a bigger pay scale. Right. And it's one thing that like, if you take that away, like, yeah, they got that money. But after that money runs out, if they did like, granted that comes on them too. If they didn't invest, they're screwed. They have nothing. And I don't know anything about investment because I, I don't make a million dollars. So Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't invest. (laughs) I live like month to month and take care of my kid and my wife mm-hmm. but it's just it's sad to see like what happened like Le- you know Labonte what the heck is his name he used to play for the Celtics there was a video about handling recently Labonte is it it's not Bell right oh well. he's a basketball player he's a light-skinned guy let's he, see hmm. anyway he was a uh, he was really good yeah really bad upbringing he was battling with Bipolar manic. He was bipolar. He was bipolar manic depressive, mm-hmm. and he was battling that like like with nobody doing it on his own. Uh-huh. And there was a video, and this this little kid was like asking him questions about LeBron James, and he was like giving him the answers. And the kid was like, "He's like, weren't you weren't you in two K?" And the guy was like, "Yeah, I used to play for the Celtics. I'm such and such." And the mom's like, "What are you doing out here?" And he goes, I had some hard times. I had to put my kids through school. I had to help my family out. And this is this hit home for me. It's because she asked him, like, 
and none of them could take care of you right now? His response is, I stand on my own too. I don't ask for anything. Yeah. So this guy was at the top, not at the top. He was a really good basketball player making a, a lot of money, mm-hmm. helped everybody out. Now he's broke. Yeah. He's living day to day and still has that. I say, I, I don't ask for help. I stand on my own. Yeah. I'm, he's like, I'm in between jobs. Like, yeah, I got a panhandle right. Now. I got to do what I can for my babies. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people have that mindset. Yeah. Definitely. And that's goes to show too with investment. Like that guy, he, he had a, some legal trouble. He has nothing. Mm-hmm. He's playing for the Celtics when they were really good too. Mm-hmm. That guy's got nothing. Well, yeah. I don't know if now I think he's like trying to become a coach or something. Mm-hmm. It's sad. It really is. It's really sad. I think the player's name, I looked him up just now. Delonte Maurice West. Yeah. Delonte West. There we go. Okay. Yeah, and I'm looking through his stats right now. I mean, 24th pick in the first round. Very impressive, right? Played a fantastic career for the Celtics. And it's, man, it's so tough to see guys like this. I think of Iverson, too. Iverson, you know, fantastic player. You know, after he was done, he fell for bankruptcy, right? You know, a couple years after. And then he played overseas. You know, he played all everywhere, right? Just trying to get some of that money back. And it's a really tough conversation for these guys. Yeah, look at Mike Tyson too, man. You know how many people stole off of his name? Right. He's fight, He's trying to fight with Hulu now because they made a life memory <laughs> about him. Like, Mike Tyson's got money, but he doesn't have the money that he used to have. Mm-hmm. Like, Mike Tyson was like... I, I have a tattoo of Mike Tyson. Uh-huh. So, I love that guy. He's crazy, but I love that guy. Mm-hmm. He lives the life the way life should be, but he even even a guy like that, he is a he is a one of one human being, and even him, he's dealing with people and he's dealing with money, he's dealing with struggles. It's crazy. It come it's it's everywhere. Just because you make a million dollars doesn't mean you're not struggling. Right. That is definitely huge. Yeah, on my hustle, keeping it going. This what you need. Yes, indeed. This is coaching your coaching, hosted by Yash, the podcast, interviewing the elite high school, collegiate, and professional athletes, trainers, and doctors. Really, it's the dopest info that you need. This is coaching your coaching. Let's go.